Welcome to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World with your host, Anya Cates. This podcast has one mission, to rally a generation that's been labeled and groomed as lazy, triggered, and entitled, and invite us all to write a new story. One of a generation that's willing to challenge the status quo, reject black and white thinking, and opt out of each and every repressive system and box that we've been placed in. Above all else, I want to invite millennials to step up to the plate, to be vulnerable in owning our responsibility to ourselves and for walking this planet through the darkest of days. It's time to dream new dreams, write new stories, and create new futures. The great work begins. Hey, everybody. Happy Sunday. Sorry it's taken me so long to get another episode out. I, uh, I've been trying to enjoy the moment. <laughs> I know I talk about this a lot on the podcast, so hopefully I'm, I'm not a broken record, but I definitely struggle between wanting to get you guys content in a timely manner, but also walking the talk. And um, part of that talk, I think for me, is really encouraging people to live a relaxed and happy life to the best of their ability. Um, and so I'm torn between this desire to like work really hard and get things out on time, but also not do that to the point where I'm stressed and miserable because then, then I'd be a hypocrite. So hopefully you all have been able to find lots of interesting podcasts to fill your time with in the meantime, and I am relieved to be finally releasing another episode. Um, I am currently uh, near Squamish in BC. Um, I have never been up to British Columbia before. I've been to Canada, but on the eastern side because I'm from New York, so I'd never come up here before. It's one of the places I was most excited to come. Um, we're going to be going into Jasper and Banff and into the Canadian Rockies as well, which I'm really excited about. I can't imagine anything could be more beautiful even than the view I'm looking at right now. Um, we're camping at Cat Lake, although we're not really at the lake. We found the lake this morning, but we're just kind of off-road um, and found some gorgeous snow-capped mountains to look out on. You can see the mountains, there's fucking glaciers in the mountains. If you look to the right, there's the ocean, there's a stream. It's pretty freaking spectacular. Um, I think since I last uploaded an episode, I think I was in Bend maybe when I did. Um, so since then we have traveled up through Seattle. We went into the Northern, um, Cascades, uh, both on the U.S. side and the Canada side, crossed the border at a place called Nighthawk, which apparently we were reading about border crossings, and I heard that or read that this one was the least trafficked border crossing ever, or maybe in Washington, but apparently Nighthawk has an official population of five. 
So that was a funny experience. Um, it was hilarious to like drive up to the border crossing and see the U.S.'s building, which was like brick and like had barbed wire and, you know, looked like a prison. And then you could see the, uh, the Canada side and it was like a quaint cottage. Um, I love when there are like very clear visual representations of like countries values and reputations like that. It was funny. Um, so, uh, went up through Nighthawk, which was, uh, east of Vancouver and then drove west back into Vancouver. Also had never been to Vancouver. So that was really cool. What a beautiful city. Um, I don't think I've ever been to a city that had like the downtown and huge buildings coupled with just the enormous mountains in the background. Um, the first night we were there, we actually hung out with, uh, Kylie Macbeth and Mark Groves. Both of them have been on the podcast. Uh, Kylie was actually the first interview I ever did. And Mark was several later. If you guys haven't listened to those episodes, I highly recommend it. Um, I'd never met either of them in person and honestly, them living in Vancouver and always posting these gorgeous Instagram stories from the harbor in Vancouver is a big reason why I wanted to come. So I blame them, um, happily blame them. Um, hung out with them. That was, that was great. Uh, Kylie and I actually had a really long conversation, um, about how we're both in a place where we don't really want to do much of anything. (laughs) And, uh, that was, it's always relieving, I think, to talk to people who are in a similar headspace to me. Um, I've definitely recently been wanting to simplify my life as much as possible. And I think Kylie and I have both done something where, you know, we built businesses and became financially independent and that's, you know, that was our goal and that's where we got to. And then we got to that place and, We just felt like, okay, I did this. Now I want to relax and I want to cut down and I want to make things easier and I don't want to exchange my time for money. Um, And I think both of us who are, you know, smart, intelligent, um, you know, people who are motivated to do well and to create things for the world of value, it's like there's such a pull to do that. And yet we have this intense desire to just do nothing. And part of that's what we want to preach is this kind of relaxing and, you know, clearly we're speaking from a privileged position. Not everyone has that opportunity, but the fact is that we are in that position and that's how we feel. And anyway, I won't go into that too much in detail, um, but we did have a really great conversation about that. I, I hope to record another podcast with her sometime in the future. Maybe we can kind of circle back around and talk about some of that stuff. It's nice. It's nice meeting people on this trip in person and talking to people and seeing how parallel our lives and experiences are. Um, it's one of the beauties of podcasts. I think I've mentioned this before about how we live in such different places and you know, we don't live in close community and it's nearly impossible to just go out to a bar and like find someone who's like-minded. It feels like, you know, trying to find a needle in a haystack. Um, and so I love that I can be someone that you guys relate to. And I love that I can meet people that I relate to amongst all of you. Um, 
So we are going up to Cortez Island uh, to hang out with Andrew Weil. Um, for those of you that don't know, uh, you should know who who Andy Weil is. He's basically like the creator of in- integrative medicine. So we're going to go up there and hang out with him for a little bit, which I am super excited about. Um, and then we're actually going to come back down to Vancouver for a couple of days. I think we're going to do a meetup in Vancouver on Thursday the 13th. It's probably going to be at this place called Local in uh, Kits. So if you are in Vancouver and want to come, just stay tuned to my social media. I'll make sure to announce the actual um, date that that happens. But we are coming back down to Vancouver to meet up with some of you. And then we're going to head back up north toward Whistler, over into Banff, and escape into the mountains um, probably through June. I would imagine that we're not going to come back down into the U.S. until late June, early July. So, yeah, excited to meet all of you Vancouver folk. Um, The best way to stay up to date on all the places that I am and all the meetups that are happening is to follow my social media. It's just A-N-Y-A dot K-A-A-T-S on Instagram. Um, Posting lots of beautiful photos and stories and videos of all the places we are. Um, Today we went for this crazy bike ride up a hill. And uh, I thought I was going to die coming down. And then we took a cold plunge in a freezing waterfall. And then I took a nap. So if I sound like a bowl of jelly, that's because that's how I feel right now. Um, Today's episode is with um, a woman named Paige Roberts. Um, This was a really awesome conversation to record. I met Paige because I met someone at the Seattle meetup that we did And I was talking at the table about probably like physical and emotional trauma and the link between the two, you know, as one does at a bar in Seattle. And one of the guys was like, hey, you should really hook up with my friend Paige. Um, She talks about so much of the same things that you're talking about. Um, So I was able to get in touch with her and record a podcast with her, and I really knew very little about her, what she did, but kind of trusted the recommendation, and I am really glad that I did. Um, Paige is a doctor. She does um, brain spotting uh, in addition to several other treatments that um, address emotional trauma in a physical way. Um, I think the narrative that I talk about most and that's probably most understood is this idea that we um, store trauma in the body Um, and this can manifest in multiple ways, chronic illness, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And what this therapy does is that it finds where that trauma lives in the body stored in the nervous system in the vagal nerve and, um, locates it and try and processes it. So the therapy is this bizarre combination of, um, like physical therapy and regular emotional therapy. Um, and I have to say when we were recording the episode and she was describing how it worked, I was, uh, slightly confused. It definitely seemed pretty complicated. She was grateful enough after we recorded, um, which I didn't know she was going to do offer to give me a session and, It was so cool, people. (laughs) Um, If you are, after listening to this episode, curious about this, I really highly recommend looking into it. Um, It was was 
really, it made me feel optimistic in the sense that there are therapies and doctors out there that are looking to address trauma in such a sort of comprehensive way. Um, I think a lot of the time, especially in traditional therapy, which I have nothing against, it was like astronomically useful in my um, healing. But I do think there's a there's a bit of a, an embodying of trauma in that space where we kind of take it on. Like I am a traumatized person and I need to talk about this trauma and process this trauma and you sort of become one with the trauma, um, which I think can be partially beneficial at first, but maybe not so in the long term. And this therapy, like it was so interesting to watch Paige talk about it because and experience it because it actually felt like, wow, like there are solutions to this. We don't just have to live with the fact that emotional trauma is stored in the body and, you know, we've got to talk until we're blue in the face in order to make it go away. This was actually you know, a therapy that was like, hey, if we do this, this, and this, and this, this actually helps to address these issues. Um, and so just to give you guys a little idea of what it looks like, like I was sitting in a chair, I had headphones on that were playing beautiful sounds of the ocean. I had uh, glasses on that blocked one eye at first, but then we took those off. And Paige was holding what looks like a little, um, almost like a car antenna, like a metal car antenna, a wand with a little red tip at the end. And we would talk about some of the stuff I've been through and she would move the um, wand sort of back and forth and up and down and where my eyes twitched or quivered to her signaled that there, that that was the place to focus on. So she would hold the wand and she would say, what, is, what are your thoughts right now? What are you thinking about? Or she would give me a... Um, a trigger she would say okay let's talk about your your divorce and she would move the wand around while I talked about it until she found the spot in which my eyes did this thing and then we would talk about it um <clears throat> it was super emotional um but really cool uh Paige was super sweet her um apartment and also was doubled as her office was like beautiful and it was just such an amazing experience. At the end, um, she told me to close my eyes and uh, sort of envision a goal or the person I wanted to be. This was specific to what we talked about, but kind of like this vision that I have for myself, a place that I'd like to go, an identity that I would like to embody more fully. And she said, open your eyes and look uh or she said, figure, like, what color do you associate it with? And I said, blue. And she said, okay. And when you open your eyes, you're just going to put your eyes in while you're thinking about this in whatever place they naturally go. And so I opened my eyes and I kind of looked at this place, mostly in front of me, but slightly down to the right. And she said, and hold that space, hold, like, hold that spot with your eyes. And then she moved a blue plastic ball <laughs> into that place where I was looking. Um, and she said, so whenever you're feeling fearful or emotionally um, triggered or upset or anything, remember that spot and blue. Like, remember what it looked like to look at that spot with the color blue and focus in on that. And it was fascinating because when I was recording the episode with Paige, I kept seeing that she was looking down to the left occasionally. 
And afterwards, she said, you know, you might have noticed that while we were recording, I was looking down to the left. Um, and that was because my, it was my first brain spotting session that I did many, many years ago. And it was like a beach in this place and it was on the left and it was purple. And she's like, and I always remember that. And I always focus there whenever I'm feeling unstable. Um, so it was really cool. I honestly would love to look into this therapy and the other therapy she does more after I get home. Um, I really did feel like it was a potential next step in addressing some of the stuff I've been through. So um, I hope you enjoy this episode. Paige was super, super intelligent and interesting. Um, it's probably one of those episodes we have to like pause and go back and re-listen because there is so much information in there. She is hyper, hyper intelligent. Um, so I think that's it. Um, if you'd like to help support the podcast, you can head over to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Anya Cates. Um, I'm going to be recording this month's bonus episode over there, I think addressing a few millennial stereotypes, specifically the one about millennials being lazy. I've had a couple of interesting experiences and conversations about that. So if you head on to Patreon, you can donate just a few dollars a month. Help me keep myself motivated to do this. I mean, I would probably do it for free, but let's be honest, like money is important. Um, so I'd really appreciate the support. You get access to all sorts of bonus stuff over there. And uh, hope you enjoy this episode, and I will talk to you next time. All right, so I'm here with Paige. Paige Roberts, is it? Yes. Amazing. And this is what I love so much about podcasting, or at least the type of podcasting that I'm doing, that like as of five days ago, I would have never known that I was sit would be sitting here in your house, <laughs> which is Fabulous. a very wonderful surprise. I was at a meetup, um, and someone I was talking about something probably about emotional and emotional and physical trauma and they're like I know someone who you definitely need to talk to and uh here I am talking to you yes fabulous <laughs> yeah I'm very grateful and happy you're here thank you um so you had sent me an email kind of describing how you got to this place and it's one of the things that I like to impress in my podcast for people is like all these stages of the journey leading up to something that eventually makes sense. But in the, in the process of it, you're like, wow, these are so many divergent pieces that I don't know how to put these together. So I would love if you were, if you were down with that to like tell that story for my mm -hmm. listeners of how you got to where you are now and may, and maybe say where you are now. Cause I didn't exactly say that either, but mm, no worries. in your words. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's go ahead and start from the beginning and work our way forward then. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I grew up in a small mountain town in Colorado and I loved athletics. I was a runner and a swimmer and a skier and I ran so much that I, uh, gave myself shin splints and, uh, broken legs and, um, we won state my junior year in cross country in Colorado. And, um, so I was very into sports and, um, with these overuse injuries, I ended up, um, being referred to a sports psych because it was very devastating when I couldn't run and, uh, had the broken ankle and all that kind of stuff. And then shortly thereafter, my swim team school bus, um, was on its journey to our first meet my senior year. And we, uh, slid on the ice, uh, did a 360 and went off and rolled. And so I got a traumatic brain injury at that time. Uh, no one really knew what that was back then. Um, so I was 18 then. So that was, uh, 16, 17 years ago now. And, um, so I was dealing with that, seeing the sports psych, 
was uh, very interested in either psychology or kind of the exercise science aspect of things, since I love to work out so much, as well as um, kind of being in the world of having to go to physical therapy and all that kind of stuff to heal my legs and uh, decided to go to school at Colorado Mesa University and run cross country down there, even though I kind of still had um, a lot of the post-concussion syndrome symptoms, which I didn't really know what those were at the time. Um, no one was really articulating that yet. And um, my first year down there, you know, I was looking at exercise science, looking at um, also some psychology stuff, and I had a fellow athlete friend complete suicide. He was a quarterback for the football team, and that kind of made an impact on me. It actually pushed me towards exercise science more than psychology at that time because I thought, holy cow, I didn't even know he was suicidal. I mean, I still remember the look in his eyes that night when we were hanging out and uh, kind of pushed me straight over to exercise science, and, and that was fine. Graduated with my bachelor's in exercise science at the time, was very interested in graduate school, started out in acupuncture school at first, and I was like, well, uh, this may not be right for me. I probably want to do more traditional, and started working as an electrocardiograph technician telemetry monitor at the Heart Center in Fort Collins, Colorado, and started out at Colorado State University doing the exercise, the master's in exercise phys, and after about a year of that, um, I was trying to get in with this uh, minor hockey league team to continue to try to get to work into um, professional sports and uh, hit a patch of ice in my car, went through a fence, killed a cow, another traumatic brain injury at 22. Wow. And so recovering from that was rough because, again, more of the post-concussion syndrome symptoms, not being able to sleep very much, kind of feeling out of my mind. And then decided I would reach back out to my old sports psych in Steamboat Springs, Colorado, and went, decided to withdraw from that program and quit at the hospital. And I believe I was very good at it and was told I was good at that avenue, but um, I didn't really like observing all the pain and traumas. And I was kind of looking at a little bit of what the um, medical social workers were doing and how they were kind of coming in and calming the situation. So that was interesting. And uh, reached back out to my sport psych, who was also a social worker. And he uh, told me about this type of therapy called brain spotting, which could really help with my post-concussion syndrome. And it was by Dr. David Grant. He had this study um, about a figure skater that he'd done it on. And so I said, yeah, let's go. And so we put the headphones on because you listen to bilateral sound when you're doing that. It's like a hypnotherapy aspect of it. And I uh, was able to kind of clear some of the traumatic brain injury stuff. I was sleeping again, um, was not scared on icy roads, because you can imagine after two uh, crashes in a row, I was pretty scared on icy roads. And that opened a whole new world for me. I thought, wow, okay, I went back to psychology. I can handle this. Let's um, get the experience I needed to get into graduate school for that. So I worked in the nonprofit, uh, Route County Department of Human Services for a while, um, assisting individuals with getting their, um, basic Maslow's hierarchy of needs met. And yeah, uh, went back to Colorado State University, got a master's degree as an advanced journalist social worker. So kind of did the nonprofit management piece, the clinical social work piece, and Still hadn't really decided if I wanted to do either the management of the nonprofit stuff or the clinical. And about that time, my dad got terminal uh, cancer. It was actually the last year of the program, and that was very hard on me because my mom and dad had been together forever. They were just so in love, adorable, and watching them, you know, lose that was very difficult for me. And I was pretty shut down, you know. I even though I'd had a little sports psych here and there and brain spotting, but 
I was pretty tough. And I remember not even being able to cry at my dad's funeral. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of being tough for my mom and just like, just had to get through, had to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life. And I was so kind of overwhelmed at the moment. I just uh, ended up teaching skiing and swimming and decided I would teach skiing because my dad loved skiing and I loved skiing, but I'd kind of taken a a route of really working on my career for a while. And I thought, you know, I'm going to go back to learning to love nature and just being physical in my body. And um, about the end of that uh, ski season, I ended up getting my graduate certificate in mediation, still kind of on the fence about things. And did the level one brain spotting training because that was the type of therapy that I'd had done on me for the um, trauma and was still kind of on the fence, didn't really know what I was going to do. And then one of my um, fellow ski instructor friends um, completed suicide in the same way that my friend had 10 years or earlier. Mm-hmm. And um, it's I was sitting at the top of the gondola at Sean um, Forney's Celebration of Life and the community that I lived in, we had a lot of suicides there, and I was kind of looking around at my fellow nearly 300 ski instructors, and as the ski corps director was saying that we needed to do something about suicide with athletes, that we needed to figure out why these very high-achieving, high-performing individuals are completing suicide, and I thought to myself, well, I'm probably the one with the education and at that moment, created the passion and mission to end suicide in athletes and really figure out why high performers are completing suicide and and started to kind of tease out the concussion, um, like hysteria around, is that why athletes complete suicide? And really sent me down this path of trying to understand more. Um, Dr. David Grand created right concurrently around that time, the level three brain spotting training for athletes and high performers And so I signed up for that and started going to as many conferences and trainings as possible with the sports medicine, um, psychological aspect of the concussions and sports injuries. And yeah, I um, tried to really become the expert of figuring out why and of course of um, trying to prevent this Mm -hmm. epidemic. Um, And so now, yeah, I'm a... Gosh, certified personal trainer, a licensed clinical social worker in Colorado and Washington, and um, certified brain spotter. And I work with um, any level of athlete, including Olympic medalists from, um, yeah, Steamboat Springs, Colorado, too. So there you go. Amazing. Thank you for telling that story. That's a long story. (laughs) Um, So it's when you were talking, it's fascinating to me because I feel like most people will often probably or are inclined to associate suicide among, let's say, athletes due to like a perfectionism that they cannot right add up to. And I feel like it's almost so easy to say, oh, well, that's why that's happening. And it's fascinating to me that you took this route that actually led you to discover this link between physical injury and emotional trauma. Yes. And so the really aha moment, aside from Dr. David Grand's years and years and years in Manhattan working with high-level athletes and his book even, This Is Your Brain on Sports, uh, there's a, a fellow with the American Academy of Neurology, Dr. Jeffrey Kuchner, and he has now put on, it's going to be the sixth annual um, American Academy of Neurology Sports Concussion Conference. And when I first approached him, because his topic was concussion and suicide mm. at uh, the Big Sky Athletic Training Sports Medicine Conference over five years ago, and I said, so what is it exactly if, if it's not the concussion link? And he said, it's any injury. I was like, oh. And he's like, oh, what about QEEG? 
have you seen a QEEG after an athlete's had an injury? And I said, no. And he's like, well, what we're finding with our research is it's either a brain or body injury and that you're going to get the same result, um, that we get a depressed level of functioning. It's kind of that shock, that trauma state that uh, we get more into our middle brain. And I thought, oh, the aha, because Dr. David Grand had um, had his work backed by the MD neurologist, Dr. Robert Scar, who talked about how we cannot differentiate between mental and physical traumas. Therefore, we hold on to them the same way and we react the same way within our body and our brain. And I was like, okay, this is it. It's like we need to reprocess and uh, release and rewrite this these traumatic pathways to bring someone back to the optimal level of neurofunctioning so that they are no longer in this depressed, decreased level of functioning. And so that was just kind of the aha moment at that moment in time. And so that has been what I have seen in my clinical practice over the last five years and in talking back to my mentor in Steamboat Springs, Roger Reynolds, and over and over again, we go back and forth with these athletes that, oh yeah, about the fifth session or so, they're going, yeah, maybe I was depressed. I didn't even realize I was depressed. I didn't even realize I was using uh, substances like marijuana or alcohol to habitually resource and stuff down some of these feelings and kind of disassociate from being depressed. And if you look at most athletes, I I would love it if you could find me one out there who's never had an injury or a a perceived failure or a disappointment because I don't know if that's going to happen. Yeah. Well, and it's almost like there must be a stigma amongst athletes around this as well. Absolutely. Because what, you're a head case, you're crazy, something's wrong with you, um, which is... Or you're doing it to yourself. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or you're even just like, oh, they must be ready to retire. They don't want to be right. doing this anymore. So they're not giving it their full effort. Absolutely. None of that is ap- is true at all. It is the nervous system. The nervous system needs to be um, essentially tuned up. It needs its kinks out. You need to reconnect the neuro pathways. Um, what's in the brain is in the body and what's in the body is in the brain. So if you think of it that way, it's like, okay, so if we have a head injury, if we have a physical injury, we need to um, address either or to get the repopulation in either or. So, I mean, it's, I see it on my QEGs. Um, I got a QEG brain scanner two years ago. It's the Wavi uh, scans out of Boulder, Colorado. Um, Dr. Frank Palermo introduced it to me. He was the avalanche, um, the Colorado avalanche hockey team, uh, team doc for years. He's the director of the American College of Physicians, brilliant individual. And he was talking to me about how when you were opening up an individual's trauma reservoir, uh, same as Dr. David Grand talks, Dr. Robert Scar, Dr. Peter Levine, whom's the somatic experience um, guru, he talks about in, in that moment, if you can rewrite it with positive um, biochemistry, um, you will remember then from then on that memory as being a positive one and continue to produce the oxytocin, which would be positive. Negative would be cortisol. Our amygdala decides this with less than a 30, you know, milliseconds or something mm-hmm. decision based off of our current reality and um, cataloging it based off our past experience. Right. So he really talked about this biochemistry exchange and he was the U.S. ski team doc for years when Johnny Mosley uh, got the medal and so he 
thought it was quite entertaining that I'd had uh, freestyle mogul skiers or bumpers come back. He said, yeah, typically they're done. I'm like, oh, yeah, I had a kid come back from averaging 20th place to winning the Northern American Tour and getting back on the U.S. ski team. So that's what was pretty exciting about watching an athlete's nervous system completely recover post-injury, even after they'd recovered in the physical therapy clinic. It's a rather like beautiful relationship, I think, about this whole thing of like physical injury manifesting emotionally, emotional injury manifesting physically. Uh. <laughs> like that there's there's something just inherently, I think, spiritual about that. Absolutely. And you just really can't separate the two. It's it's kind of a joke of mine that I want you to cry in my office because um, we know instantly if we are getting upset about something and pushing the cortisol to the max, that if we cry emotional tears, it's Dr. William Fry's work out of the University of Minnesota, that we are producing oxytocin. So when I'm working with an athlete, it's pretty humorous because they'll sit there and I'll be like, oh, well, what about the shoulder, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, I crash and it hurt and uh, it's like, Wait, wait, wait. So you crashed. It's like, was that scary? Well, I mean, it wasn't scary. It's just what happens. I was like, okay, so you caught the edge of your ski and slammed your face into the snow. You're like, yeah, it kind of sucked. And it's like, and then what? So then you didn't get that run. It was your one shot at the World Cup. You had two World Cup competitions that season. You had to show the team and the coaches that you're actually good enough to be on this team. And you only had that one shot. And there you go. Face slam, boom. And they're just like, you're right. There was a lot um, riding on that, right? And it's like, man, yeah, is, is that kind of why you're not on the team now? Yeah, I didn't get many opportunities to prove myself. It's like, okay, and how's that make you feel? It's, you don't care? No, I care a lot. This is my, I love this. This is the sport that I do. This is, and so you get this whole emotional reaction just from this physical, but you really have to go through the memory and unwind it because we just become so tough and resilient in our everyday lives that we don't take the time to mindfully go back and um, reprocess and detrain um, these experiences. So, um, yeah, it's quite interesting how it's all entangled. Yeah, and I feel like within the athlete community that, it's almost like there's an advantage there because I think for most of us who don't rely on our bodies to, for our careers or to even just get through the day or succeed, that it's easier to ignore that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And that's kind of the thing. Uh, so you have this individual who's highly performing, working as a tech industry individual out here. And, um, cause I am in Washington state at this point. Yeah. With like, it's cool. It's like we, we're seeing the Facebook and REI headquarters go up around your yep. apartment yep. here, which is Giant building. just a very interesting <laughs> thing to like visually see anyway. <laughs> yes, there you um, Yeah, so you take that individual and they very much pride themselves on their intellect and their capacity to um, create amazing things on the computer. Um, some of them even just speaking, not even typing anymore, you know, with mm-hmm. some of the technology we have now. And so I get one of those individuals in my office, cause again, they're performers, they're high performing, they want things in this world. And um, I will scan their brain and find that they have a decreased voltage, which uh, we should have about uh, 20 volts in our brain. You know, we are all light energy. Um, convulsion is what is making us uh, operate, brain or body. And, and it gets them to understand, like, hey, your voltage is going down. You need to focus on your physical body because it's negatively impacting your mental um, 
reality here. And they're like, whoa. And so that's how you can show them the opposite and how they're influencing each other. Compared to an athlete, you bring them in and you scan their brain and their voltage is down from a head injury or from a sports injury. And they're like, oh my gosh, you know, so I need to work on my mental aspect. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's so interesting, the difference, because you got this athlete who's overtraining the body essentially, but not doing the mental training. Then you've got this um, CEO, uh, computer programmer individual who's overtraining the brain, but not training the body. It's like, oh my gosh, we need some balance here. Um, So that's kind of how I look at the wellness spectrum here with the mental and physical. You need both. It's like, you don't exercise one day and think like, okay, I'm good for the rest of my life. No, you need to be constantly tuning up your mental state um, concurrently with your physical state. And why do you have any thoughts about why? I mean, we talked about this before we started recording that like both of us are still I, I think both of us have experienced both physical and emotional traumas and that there's still this struggle to mm-hmm. kind of figure out like Once- where is the threshold <laughs> or the line? The thing I was saying was like, where is the line between the stress I'm going to accumulate by being super diligent about not eating ice cream versus the physical effect of eating ice cream with sugar and dairy and things that aren't that great for my body? It's like, it's a constant negotiation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, and I think there's some aspect of when you talk about stress, cause stress is, um, we need some stress, right? To perform athletes need some to perform. We need some to perform. Hmm. Um, So I think of it like this, is it overtraining? So if you have this residual response from the ice cream for three days that is detrimental, getting you in this detox kind of inflammatory state, don't eat that ice cream, cost-benefit analysis, that was too much. So you think of the same thing with the mental aspect too. So you're pushing, 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 finishing grad school, finishing, having to do this, finishing the big project, but is it too detrimental like five days later, you know, you can't sleep or you didn't sleep, now you're in adrenal fatigue, you're having, you know, you got sick from it because um, you weren't focusing on your health at all. It's such a fine line and a balance. And I think that we all need to learn our limits, but we do know that through exercise, we are increasing our positive endorphins that are combating the oxidative uh, negative stress hormone through the brain spotting, which um, is the type of psychotherapeutic neurophysiological technique that I use. Um, you are also uh, detraining that amygdala does so it's not as excitable to produce the cortisol. So then you're getting more of that natural calm state uh, through acupuncture. You are tuning up uh, your nervous system and your energetic flow through massage. You're releasing your trigger points, which is possibly impacting the same flight, flight, freeze mechanism area of your brain to get you to release and relax more and engaging your vagal nerve, making it stronger. Um, gosh, through uh, any, any other, uh, gosh, yoga, of course, yoga is amazing. Same thing, repopulating the frontal lobe, uh, stimulating the motor cortex of the brain. Also the fight, fight, freeze mechanism, getting you to relax. So it seems like it's a balance of constantly doing these tuning up processes and knowing your limits mentally and You know, when you talk uh, biochemistry kind of aspect of the input of things too, and that gets you into a whole nother like, you know, rabbit hole of, okay, methylation processes, what you're allergic to, what you're inflaming to. Um, So (laughs) understanding all of that. So really in the end, it's all we need to stay away from cortisol and inflammation and then we'll be good. I mean, (laughs) uh, so decreasing all of the things that are producing cortisol and inflammation in our life um, and still being able to uh, reach our goals. Right. 
I mean, oh, so many things. Um, <laughs> I was going to ask you, like, what do you recommend when people are trying to figure out what that sweet spot is for them? And I guess that might just be a good segue to start talking about some of the therapies you use, of which I know basically nothing about. I'm assuming my <laughs> listeners probably know very little about. So brain spotting, I know you've mentioned several times. Can you talk a little bit about what that is so, and how that works for yeah, so us uninformed folks? Traditional <laughs> psychotherapy, you know, the thought was that when we um, expel or speak the, the things that are circulating around in our mind, they become less powerful. You know, we're, we're re-traumatizing our brainstem every time that thoughts are circulating around, we're, we're creating new story, new experience based off our past experience, amping ourselves up. So that's basic psychotherapy. Then you get into some of the um, eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy, and that's EMDR. And so with that theory, we're looking at um, our eyes are uh, connected into that motor cortex, the fight, fight, freeze kind of area, and that through a reflexive cue with our eyes, so looking back and forth, back and forth, we can find, um, as you're, again, dumping out verbally, um, <laughs> find the reflexive cue associated with the trauma, right? Mm. So then you get into Peter Levine's work, and his is the somatic experience that we are holding on to emotional energy within our fashion, our tissue, which we all know that. You know, we go into like this kind of guarded state, this lockdown state, this fetal position when something bad happens, and so we kind of lock that in place, and so therefore we need to access in the body, and, and we get some of this experience with a massage and uh, acupuncture as well, but saying, oh yeah, you know, like, man, where I feel those shin splints I had is in my shin. So I'm going to massage them a little bit and try to get the fascia to release. And that got us into kind of the trigger point stuff. You know, you're pushing on the nosoreceptor on the area of the body to get it to react with the pressure to release. Okay. Mm. So somatic experience. Um, then we get into, um, hypnotherapy, right? So an altered state. So activating the middle brain, getting out of the outside of the brain where all of our conscious experience, the neocortex, our rationalization, reasoning, um, our, uh, gosh, our, uh, problem solving skills, all of that, the outside of the brain. So getting in the middle brain where our unconscious, emotional, primitive fight, fight, freeze, uh, survival, um, you know, <laughs> area to is. Mm -hmm. And so bilateral sound hypnotherapy piece and then the focus mindfulness of something. Like I kind of talked about with the athletes where I'm sitting there making them go all the way back through with a fine-tooth comb and talking about um, every aspect of the injury, every aspect of the failure. Okay, well, tell me about when you lost the race and didn't get to uh, make it onto state, you know? And they're just like, oh my gosh, it was this, this, this. I was like, what were the sight, sound, smells? Because our five senses are taking in information um, unconsciously as well. I mean, we take in one megabyte of information every second of every day. Very, very hard for us to organize this information aside from just cataloging it based off past experience. So brain spotting, <laughs> aspects of EMDR, Aspects of somatic experience, aspects of focused mindfulness, aspects of um, hypnotherapy. So you're wearing bilateral sound through headphones. Um, we're manipulating the visual path by having you cover one of your eyes with these fun little glasses or an eye patch. My telehealth uh, athletes across the country and even world when they're competing, they're using their uh, bandana or a sleep mask to cover one of the eyes. And what we're doing is we're having them um, go through accessing in the body, overthinking the worst case scenario, the bad, sad of situation to get our brain and body to fully reprocess, release, and rewrite these experiences to a positive one and reset the amygdala so it's not as excitable. 
Uh, we know that we can reset the amygdala and populate more of the frontal lobe with EMDR research in the past. And so combining all of the techniques in this brain spotting um, therapy has really allowed for individuals to completely reprocess, release, and rewrite traumatic experiences to reset their amygdala. Some have gotten off of medication. I've had multiple get off of medication. I've had individuals be able to uh, reset their circadian rhythm and sleep naturally, such as myself as well with um, the past traumatic brain disorder. Uh, that was Ooh, not sleeping is brutal. And I tried every single thing. You know, I tried the Ambien. Psh, I can take a whole bottle of Ambien. I'd still, like, be able to go do cardio, huh? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, brain spotting is a very powerful technique. Been doing, had it done on me uh, 10 years ago and, well, no, more than that now. So 12 years ago and was trained in it eight years ago. We've got about, I think, ra roughly uh, 13,000 brain spotters across the world now. It's a little more popular in other places than um, Washington at this time. We have very few out here. That's what brought me out here from Colorado, just kind of trying to spread some of these um, newer therapies out here. Uh, it's very popular in Colorado, very popular in California, very popular in New York, where uh, the creator, Dr. David Grand, was and is. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the brain spotting in a nutshell. Anyone who is trying to expand on their performance in life should clear out their trauma reservoir or their wastebasket of past negative experiences to get to a more calm, cool, collected, confident state, and they will be performing more optimally, uh, mind and body. So looking at things like we've had individuals uh, decrease their need for sleep apnea machines and, mm. um, again, getting better sleep because we need to repair and recover every single night and flush the seven grams of tau protein from the brain every night from 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Um, or else we're going to start to get symptoms of those neurocognitive disorders, right? Um, gosh, we know the number one cause of death is heart disease. Well, where does heart disease come from? Stress, oxidative stress. So really just decreasing the amount of conscious and unconscious cortisol we're pumping through our body all the time. So yeah, that's brain spotting. Amazing. That's so cool. Um, do you feel like, I mean, this, this technology was developed when, um, Probably now, 15 years ago, Dr. David Grand was trained in all of the therapies I talked about, yeah. and he just combined it. He was working with a national figure skater who kept trying to do a triple loop mm. and could not land the trick. And so instead of just moving the pointer back and forth, which was the normal uh, EMDR um, protocol, he began then with his pointer just slowly when he saw the reflexive cue, just stop on that point. And the individual, uh, then came back to a place in their life when they'd had a lot of developmental or adverse childhood experience, the ACEs and mm -hmm. dumped all that out and then went out and, uh, was able to land the trick perfectly. So it was quite fascinating. So this technology, or I guess a lot of the ones you're using, can address, I mean, I guess we're talking about how these things are inextricably linked, but like yes. both physical and emotional trauma. So yes. someone with just straight up emotional traumas can yep. treat that physically yep. and someone, yeah. And chronic pain stuff. Mm -hmm. I have had many, um, especially out here in Washington, many autoimmune disorder types of clients come through. We've got Lyme disease. We got, mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, gosh, just anything you want to speak up. Crohn's yeah, disease. Yeah. I've had so many different um, things that 
working with an individual going back through their trauma laundry list. Dr. David Grant calls it the laundry list. So you kind of have an, a client, whomever it is, come in, make their laundry list, kind of starting chronologically. Every single bad thing that's ever happened to you or um, trauma, right? We talk about trauma. I know everyone thinks, oh my gosh, I wasn't in a car accident or I didn't see someone die in front of me. It's like, well, it's anything that's less than nurturing is really the de- definition of trauma. And it really depends on how vulnerable you are at the time as well. So it's like if you have a lot of other traumas going on at the time, um, you could be very vulnerable to multiple experiences just being very uh, traumatic and causing that amygdala to be ultra vigilant and really put you into this kind of stress state that um, exacerbates things like a you know, autoimmune disorder. We know now too with the uh, traumatic brain injuries that people are more susceptible to an autoimmune disorder or taxed adrenals and um, glandular disorders because um, their system was very vulnerable. And so having to detrain the trauma from someone so they get back to their um, powerful level of functioning, essentially, neuropower. Right. It's interesting hearing you talk about this because I mean, I've definitely been in the world of, like, psychology for a long time, therapy and just learning about it. And it's quite clear to me, especially in terms of illness, that we take on a sort of identity Mm -hmm. around being sick, especially if we have any sort of, like, long-term autoimmune condition. And it sounds like to me in this world that there's this, like, if you do these steps, that this is actually helping, not that you need to take on this trauma and it's a part of your identity and you're going to have to deal with that. Like, that, it sounds like such a juxtaposition to me. Yes. Yeah. Um, also there's always kind of this like aha moment. So I don't know how much like reprocessing hypnotherapy kind of stuff you've done, but once you've kind of exhausted it, like I want someone to talk it to death. I want someone to express every single emotion associated with the thing. I don't want any rationalization or reasoning. Rationalization or reasoning is out the door. I, you, you do that all day. I want you to come in here and talk about that little girl that had her bicycle stolen and was punished and thrown in the closet and all that stuff. We want to take you all the way back to that part. It's really called parts work. Um, and we want to go all the way back to you really feeling the grief, the disempowerment, the sadness, and going back through that experience. So that's, that's kind of what you're getting at when you're talking about people taking on the identity of this, this, this. It's like, well, yeah, there's this, this is the symptom now, right? So I, mm-hmm. I see, I see these disorders as symptoms, right? Mm. So this is the symptom of this unresolved, unprocessed trauma. Mm. So we're going back through that stuff. And you will see that, and then once you've cleared this reservoir, then you go into the symptoms. Then you kind of get the aha moment around the symptoms too. And they play off of each other. So perhaps you'll get the aha moment when you're talking about the parts work of the five-year-old mm-hmm. of like, oh my gosh, that's when I started having this, um, you know, stomach issues. And then this, 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 then I got attention because I, before I didn't get attention, I only got attention when I was doing something bad. And this is where I got this comforting, caring attention. It's like, Oh my goodness. So then that's where your colitis started. You know, I mean, it's so interesting. And then they'll sit there and be like, wow. And then at this point in time, it's like, I still kind of yearn for that attention, you know, in this way to myself even, because then I feel compassionate for myself because I'm out of, you know, it's out of my control. It's not something I'm causing. It's like, no, it's absolutely not something you're causing. It is a neuropathway and a biochemical reaction that's continued to do because once the body knows how to do something, it just keeps doing it. Mm -hmm. So then when you get into the brain spotting aspect of reprocessing trauma, you are teaching yourself to process trauma effectively. Mm. So I mentioned, I couldn't even cry at my dad's funeral 
Well, I had to go back through before I started my practice and reprocess that, reprocess Sean's death, go all the way back and reprocess more of uh, Dustin's death, had to go back and reprocess some of, you know, heartbreaks, breakups. I had an abusive uh, relationship in my early 20s, and I had to go back through and reprocess those things because I kind of just gotten tougher and just started stuffing things down to just get by. And I started to experience even more of my own kinds of autoimmune adrenal fatigue stuff going on. And um, so, yeah, so I had to go back through and reprocess all those things, even though I didn't want to. Mm -hmm. You know, I was just like, oh, no, that's not me. Oh, that's not me. But, man, when I woke that tiger, as Dr. Peter Levine talks about with reprocessing trauma, wow. I mean, I was, like, crying for, like, days. And it was like, (laughs) holy cow. And then (laughs) it's so funny. There's this retired NHL player and – a friend of mine, and I remember texting him, like, I can't stop crying. He's like, oh, crying's healing. I'm like, okay, NHL enforcers tell me crying's healing. This is okay. This is okay. <laughs> yeah, I definitely went through, like, several phases of, like, I'm going to be in this fetal position on the floor yeah. crying, and I don't oh, know yeah. when I will stand up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that is true. I think, you know, to go – I think there's a difference, though, between, like, going back and facing it and working mm-hmm. through it versus, like – I am a traumatized person and I will, and that is the identity. And I think, unfortunately it's the, I mean, I love therapy. It did wonders for me, but I do think that's part of the problem that we start with just that form of talk therapy that we're taking on. So what you're, what you're talking about is more of the kind of codependent relationship with Mm. the um, illness ailments and Mm just that whole dynamic too. And so a lot of, so when I started my therapy practice, I wouldn't even join my past mentor in Steamboat because he wanted me to. He's like, oh, come join me. I'm like, no, I'm doing things different. I didn't want any hint of mental health. That's why I'm in my own practice here with all my, like my exercise ball and all my kind of stuff. And the name of my business, uh, Paige Roberts Performance Neuro Training, uh, very, very, very destigmatized within around this traditional psychotherapy because I find that um, we get, you know, I see it as like almost a codependent relationship with the therapist because you're coming in every single week like, well, I need you to get by. Well, I need this. I need this. And and I even started to see a little bit with my uh, elite athletes. It's like in the first couple of years of my practice, I would travel to the World Cups with them and be there for them and everything they needed. And man, I didn't even go to the Olympics um, in South Korea with my one client uh, because I said, nope. I do not travel with them. I am not. I am a resource to them. Strict resource. I do not make them. I do. No. No codependency happening here. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's a little bit of that dynamic because it feels really comfortable. You know, it's like here you have your comfortable therapist. This is this is like, nope, you need to reprocess these things and existentialize these things as this. You're not a diagnosis. You have some of these symptoms. Like I said, the autoimmune stuff can be a symptom. That's just as much of a symptom here as anxiety would be or um, not insomnia, not being able to sleep, whatever those labels are. It's like, nope, you're this person here. You're a survivor. You your nervous system's actually stronger than the average person since you went through that trauma. Mm-hmm. So you can actually handle more. So let's go ahead and overload your nervous system and make you even stronger. Let's reprocess this stuff in this attuned, safe environment and rewrite those pathways to a more powerful, empowered individual, existentialize this diagnosis and whatever it is and put it in the middle of the room and say, hey, you're a symptom and we are going to clear you by going back through all of this past stuff and powerfully rewriting those pathways. Amazing. Do you think think that like also part of what you're doing. And I guess I think part of what we need to be doing is like 
training people to be more in touch with their own intuition. Absolutely. Which is, I feel like, part of why you're not going to be there by their side. It's part of why we want to embrace the physical and the emotional piece of this, find that balance. It's like we've gotten so far away from being conscious of that, like evolutionary, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so I think of the three-year-old. So think of a three-year-old, they get super upset. They start screaming and bawling. Their face turns red. They throw themselves on the ground. They're kicking and screaming. And the mom walks away as they're supposed to, because they're learning to resource themselves. They're learning to cope with it. Mm -hmm. You should not give the child the toy or the candy. No, bad behavior pattern. And, but then after a little bit, the little kid just gets up and goes off and starts playing and is giggling and happy again. So you experience someone's full um, wave of emotions. And so that's what's positive. So I talked about, you know, when we cry, we produce oxytocin to combat that cortisol. So you have this little angry three-year-old, then they got sad-ish, and then the oxytocin rushed through, and then they're fine again. So we teach ourselves to rationalize and reason and stuff down our emotions and don't process them fully. So that's a part of that. Um, and, and for an adult example, so you're driving down the road, someone cuts you off and you're going to sit there. Oh my gosh, that guy's a jerk. He's this, 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 uh, as opposed to the healthy thing would be like, Whoa, I filled out my chest. That was so scary. Oh my gosh. I'm okay. I'm going to take deep, five deep belly breaths to reset my vagal nerve. I'm going to relax for a minute. That was so scary because man, he could have hurt me, but I'm okay. Everything's good. No, we stuff it down and get all mad and stuff. It's like, no, you process the emotion that comes with that. That was fear. That was your fear. And it takes me a minute to explain that sometimes to my rough, tough athlete men or um, CEOs because they're like, oh, you're right. That is a type of trauma. It's like, yeah, it is. (laughs) Why are we so, is it fear just of being in that place? Is it vulnerability? Yeah. I mean, even myself, you know, they talk about conscious use of self in the therapeutic process. And, you know, I, I'm very careful when I disclose mm. my, um, vul- you know, things that have happened to me and being vulnerable with them because that can be healing, you know, like sympathy is moving. Empathy is, you know, like very powerful and even more so, I guess. Um, but I think that it's still that whole, when we are vulnerable, sometimes someone can pounce on that vulnerability and hurt us because we are being open and honest, you know, um, unfortunately, I mean, it's kind of disgusting, but, um, I think that's a lot of it. You know, we kind of live in this like, Oh, oh you know, I can't, I can't open up because then someone's going to use that, uh, perceived weakness or, um, you know, they're going to see that scar and rip it back open or something, you know, something like that. Um, it's really unfortunate, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the Myers-Briggs, but I'm an ENFP. So, I mean, I'm intuitive. I am feeling, I am prospecting. There's no part of me that, you know, if someone asks me this, 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 I'm like, Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, you know, I'm just like, I'm all about it. But I think to a lot of people, um, they just are not okay with, um, being expressive that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It seems like this has been embraced within certain communities, the type of therapy that you do. I imagine though, that there's also some pushback mm-hmm. skepticism. Mm-hmm. I think when we, before we started recording, we were talking about this intersection of like spirituality and science and that, that those two things are still at war. Um, I don't know if that's the type of pushback that you get, but I think what you're doing is bridging worlds in a way that might be threatening. 
Yeah. And so you speak about that. So in Brazil with brain spotting, there's actually a God spot. (laughs) So, and then in Australia, they talk about you cannot heal trauma without concurrently healing spiritually. Mm. And then you kind of look at AA and AA is this model that is allowing for the higher purpose that if you're not living for yourself, you're living for, um, you know, something greater than you who created you. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there's an aspect of that. And then we are trained clinically that we're not supposed to bring that in the room, that we're not supposed to be partial, you know, some kind of like, I guess, bias or, or partial to one way or the other or something like that. And so there is a little bit of that. Um, I think too, that there is a power dynamic with therapists too. There's a power dynamic in the medical field in general. So I think there's always this kind of like diagnosing and treating and remaining in control and uh, the power differential. Um, I see with like brain spotting, uh, hypnotherapy, um, some of that's not as strong in that. um, I'm not in control of the brain spotting. Don't want to be in control. I'm letting it go where it needs to go. I mean, I could be like, okay, well, we're going to work on the ski run. Okay, what's scary about this uh, next run? And, you know, they may come into like, oh, my gosh, I'm so stressed out because this, this, this is going on with my grandma and this, 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 this. Oh, we're going there. It's like, oh, man, oh, yeah. Why, why is this sad? Because because my grandpa died and he died of this, this, this. And I'm worried about grandma dying. And blah, blah. I was like, wow, where do you feel that? It's like, oh, man, my heart. And, you know, it's like, we're just going. We're letting it go wherever. But there's no, like, judgment. There's no, like, psychoanalysis because, again, symptoms come from some habitual resourcing behavior uh, that was accumulated from survival mechanism, Right. And it can be a biochemical thing. So when we look at addiction, they call it habitual resourcing. Well, they didn't, someone didn't get a lot of hugs growing up. They are going to lean to something that's giving them oxytocin because hugs give us oxytocin. That's what we need when we're growing up. So yeah, so does, um, you know, opiates. Mm-hmm. So let's lean toward the opiates. And anytime we start to feel this void and this sadness over here, let's habitually resource with some opiates. Okay. So we have an individual who um, is biochemically habitually resourcing, and they learned that this covered that when they were 14 years old, when they were first introduced to a painkiller. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and this power dynamic, I mean, do you think like part of it, especially within the scientific space, that there's like this need to have answers? It can't just be like, let's try this and see. Ooh, that's, that's been an, so now, now you're getting a little more back into, I guess I would call it more metaphysics and, um, alternative medicine, you mm. know, absolutely. And again, I kind of live in that space of alternative, uh, <laughs> holistic and metaphysics here. I'm trained in the science stuff. I have my licenses, I have my credentials. Mm-hmm. And so I can have as much research to back some of this, but man, when I'm in practice, who we're over here, just kind of like, huh, let's see what happens here. Huh. And I will go on an intuitive hit right away. You know, if I'm thinking like, well, what happened with so-and-so? They're like, how'd you know that? It's like, uh, we're sharing energy here. We share energy. We've proven that in science as well as we know mirrored neurons, whatever part of your brain is activating when you are processing is what we call it. When an individual's in this deep meditative, um, hypnotic, unconscious, uh, <laughs> stage when they're doing the brain spotting. And, um, so my brain will be firing in the same area. So it's just, it'll be kind of an intuitive hunch. You'll move the pointer based off of, and yeah, I got more reflexive cue reaction in that spot. You just do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but being okay with that, man, you know, I, again, you notice I'm not in a mental health clinic right now. Mm. Um, 
I've had more pushback in certain areas in this country when it comes to this type of therapy. I've had individuals just blatantly look at me and go, well, I just don't even understand any of that. Why don't you do cognitive behavior therapy? We know that works. I'm going, so you're getting someone to try to condition over maladaptation is what that's telling me. So it's like, okay, so you break your bone and you let it grow all funky and then you're going to go and do physical therapy or go out there and just essentially train in your sport and think you're going to be as effective as if you'd had the surgeon fix the maladaptation and then go out there and train. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So that's kind of how I see these trauma reprocessing, rewriting um, therapies. Because it's like, oh, no, we want to detrain the maladaptation and fix the problem. And Dr. Jeffrey Kutcher says that as well, that he's a a psychiatrist and a neuropsych. He's quite amazing. But he's like always telling me when I'm asked, well, what about this? What about this? He's like, Paige, you got to fix the problem. Fix the problem. I'm like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. But yeah, so I... (laughs) You know, I, I don't know. I just think that it's like you said, fear with wanting someone to know the answers or this mm-hmm. or that. But I mean, we know the answers ourselves. They're inside of us. And that's one of Dr. Grant's famous sayings is that, you know, the, the answers, they're just locked up inside of you. And so we need to open you back up so that you can come to your own aha moment. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like the type of therapy, I mean, because I, I think about this all the time, it's so upsetting to me that there's this disconnect between mm-hmm. these two worlds. And I often think about like, well, where is the healing to, to merge them back together? Do you feel like even the therapy that you're doing in some way that is merging the two, that that's like part of that journey trying to and with the destigmatization, you know, when I reach out to um, coaches, sports teams, this or that, mm-hmm. they're understanding it more. They're not seeing it as like, um, you know, wussy shit. I've had a few coaches be like, oh, we don't need that wussy shit, blah, blah, when they're talking about sports. Mm -hmm. And I think like, what? Um, So I I think that they're starting to understand it because you can explain the physiological aspect. But there's another thing too. So think about this. And so I told you, it's like, okay, so I did my three-month healing process, which was very brutal. Um, many individuals and in the psychology world, it is not a requirement for you to go through any kinds of healing yourself. So if it's not a requirement to the psychology psychotherapy world, is it going to be a requirement in your medical science worlds? Mm. So when you start to think about like, uh, fragile egos and individuals who are not healthy themselves, they're not playing well with each other. If they're worried that so-and-so is going to discount what they're doing or that you're going to take their meal ticket and take their client or you're going to discount something they're going to do, it's like I see a lot of these ego battles is what I see more of. And I think like, ooh, this is weird. And I find healthy individuals, which are very uh, growth mindset and collaborative, and that's amazing, but the majority, no. Yeah, there's a book I read called Power in the Helping Professions. Do you know that book? <laughs> no, but, <I laughs> but I'm sure you have this, an idea. Yeah. Being in the heart center, it was like, whoa, the second the cardiologist walked in the morning, we all jumped. We're like, mm-hmm. okay, here's your reports. Here's this. The nurses were doing this. This has happened, blah, blah, blah. I mean, it was like, you know, it was such a power differential within the hospital. It was, it was very energetically um, known. Yeah, well, and I never really, I mean, the book is, it talks about, you know, how people with, severe psychological issues are getting into helping professions like in order to proliferate uh, i shouldn't read that yeah. Scary. <laughs> yeah their narcissism right mm-hmm. like a, like yep. god complexes mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. and and clearly i think that exists to some extent within the medical profession so there's there's okay and so i always look at things like this because i analyze this all the time because mm-hmm. 
Um, it's fun. And I try, to, I try to figure out someone's reaction to me. I think, was it something I was doing or it could be this or it could be this. But so you got a narcissist who has like a completely fragile, broken up ego, who's kind of like pulling from everyone else's and they're really attracted to someone with a really big, healthy ego and a lot of confidence. Right. Mm -hmm. And they're going, I want some of that. So I'm going to keep pulling that and I'm going to knock you down because I have a fragile ego. But if you comb this, uh, narcissist ego, they love you, but man, you better not get any taller than them. They don't like that. Then you've got your individual who has a very, um, not very developed ego and they're not a narcissist. They're just not going to go out there very competently and confidently be like, Hey, here I am. This is what this is going on. But really you've got this other individual over here again. I'm talking three, you know, she's, you're sitting here. You can see what I'm talking about. We got narcissism on one end. <laughs> we've got like a, you know, not very developed ego. And then we've got like a really developed, healthy ego. The individual with the developed, healthy ego, they will be pulling others up with them. They will be supporting others. They will be cheerleading others along with them. They're bringing them with you. And I'm the Myers-Briggs campaigner. Mm-hmm. So I'm bringing everyone with me. So yeah. I'm always like, yeah, let's all do this together. And then they think like, Ooh, why are you pulling me with you? It's like, because I think we can all do this. This will be fun. Um, so you know, that's kind of where we're at with things. And so that's how I'm kind of always like analyzing things. And I, I really see the individuals with the narcissism. It's like, they're only going to go so far though. And the, you know, most like, uh uh-huh kind of one most recently was Tony Robbins Mm. with his kind of stuff. It's like, Ooh, he finally got a more spotlight on him because he would always just kind of discount when people be like, you know, he's doing this, this, this. It's like, yeah, I'm unorthodox. It's like, what does that mean exactly? So you're doing things because you want to, because you think they're right. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're negatively impacting someone else, it's like, you're not doing anything. You're not doing it right, man. I mean, we should not be negatively impacting another soul on this planet. It's like, right. <laughs> that's not necessary. So. Well, it totally goes into like walking the talk too. It's like someone who's preaching like the four hour work week and yet works 80 hours a week. It's like, what's the problem there? Well, <laughs> like, there's hypocrisy. Oh, so for example, too, I go to one of these American cabinet neurology sports concussion conferences and like every neurologist in the room has the exceeding uh, waistline and looks like Mm. a walking heart attack. And I'm going, huh, this is interesting. So I'm sure everyone's seen their medical doctor that is not following uh, the physical guidelines and the um, nutritional guidelines, let alone the psychological guidelines. Um, So I think that's, that as well. But yeah, know that your doctor has never had to have any psychotherapy. Yeah. That just reminded me of it. And I'm sure, you know, Gabor Mate. Yes. He endorses brain spotting. Yeah. I would assume he, one of the things he said in some interview once, like just the image I could never get out of my head that he's like, I go into these spaces with like hundreds of medical professionals and I've got like stacks of paper that's showing that all of these physical issues are by and large coming out of, you know, childhood trauma and he's like and i sit there and they look at me like with blank stares and they have no fucking idea what to do because the information that i'm presenting is implicating them right like we have to (laughs) yeah and it's like and it just goes back to this i mean i know for me to and the say we had this conversation about trauma like what is trauma like learning about aces right you i you hear trauma in this culture i think specifically and you think like acute physical sexual violent um, and Veterans. nobody's right. And no one's looking at like, okay, yeah, sure. You had like a, a couple parents, you lived in a house, you had a roof over your head, you had food on the table, but you suffered like even moderate emotional trauma over the right. course of many, many years. And that can be extremely challenging. Yep. So it's like, we have to de- yeah, destigmatize 
the trauma and be strong enough to reflect back on like, well, wait a second, what does that then say about my own lifetime autoimmune condition, that of my child, you know, like, why is my child have these severe addictions? Like what, you know, and, and I think that for most people is almost, I mean, they'll do anything to avoid looking at that. Yeah. As well as because you're getting on a little bit of generational stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's like some of my autoimmune stuff. Oh, my gosh, that was my dad's repressed. He was an alcoholic and he's, he died of cancer seven years ago, you know, and it's like, oh, my gosh, he was habitually resourcing. He'd have his rum and coke every night to, to decompress, de-stress. It's like, you know, um, that was some of his, you know, his father was a Marine who was very, very hard on him. So it's like I epigenetically, he passed down some of that on me. I already came into this world with um, already a little more hypervigilant amygdala, already more susceptible to inflammatory stuff. You know, he died of cancer. I'm like, oh shit, there you go. That's uh, the Mm. inflammatory lifestyle type of disease. So um, the best thing we can do, okay, millennials, before you have your kids, (laughs) since we're having our kids later, uh, um, is reprocess all of your past so you're not passing it on to your kids so your kids will be stronger. Um, And then that's going to play a role, too, when you look at things like detoxing. So we know that when we have this um, inflammatory stuff going on, that we have a harder time methylating and detoxing chemicals and uh, metals out of our system. Well, what are we worried about right now? Okay, autism in our children. Well, of course, because mom is packed full of all these chemicals and all these metals and in our glands. And so therefore, the baby that's developing is pulling from our glands um, as it develops. And then we give some vaccines and so on and so forth and expose the baby to Johnson & Johnson and products that are full of mm-hmm. petroleum and bad things. And of course, this baby's going to have this autoimmune inflammatory type of Asperger autism, um, you know, situation going on. Mm-hmm. And there's some amazing doctors up here I've heard of most recently in talks um, that are being able to, uh, you know, detox and get rid of this immunity stuff going on with autism children and they are healing. So it is possible, but I'm just saying if we want to have a healthy society and healthy children, we need to reprocess all our trauma and get all of this inflammation out of us so that we can methylate and detox properly so that we can be healthy. Amazing. Yeah. Well, my like kind of <laughs> unofficial tagline for this podcast is fix yourself to fix the world. Yeah. That like there is, yeah, it's, I mean, there's no more. And I think sometimes people take that in the wrong way of like, I only need to deal with my stuff, like as long as I'm living this life. And I think for me, it's linked. Like, I don't know if you had this experience, like, especially going through and processing trauma to me without having read a book about it, without having like listened to any sort of expert, it was immediately like this pain that I am experiencing is larger than myself. And it is like, not just having to do with my mother and her mother ancestrally, but it's also like I'm crying for that fucking tree that's dying. Yes. And like, there's this amazing, yeah, amazing world that well, opens up. Sharing energy, there's mirrored neurons, there's the collective consciousness. It's, um, and you're talking about secondary trauma too. Mm. So anytime I see something bad, Again, that mere neuron thing, the neural pathways, the dendrites. I mean, we are like, we're just completely like uh, creating dendrites nonstop. They're just like in our brain and body. I mean, we are laying down information, whether it be unconscious or conscious, you know, either we're aware or not even. It's like my eye over here is watching what's going on while we're talking. I mean, that's just what's going on. We're taking in information all the time. So even though we don't truly notice the car crash in front of us over here because we're driving here and we -hmm. took that in. So that's trauma to us now. So you're processing the trauma for the other individual that we are connected to because we are all energetically connected. 
And so with your athletes, that's huge. Mm-hmm. Ironically, my one kid, he was on the U.S. ski team and then crashed at his first World Cup. The individual who went in front of him crashed, hit his head, had a seizure in front of him. Then he had to go and he crashed and broke his collarbone and got a concussion. And his performance continued to decline for four years until he started brain spotting. And then he came back and got on the team and was the Northern American champion after that. So you can't tell me that's not connected that he took on that kid seizing out fellow you know, 20 year old seizing out on the course in front of him and wasn't all muscle guarding fight, flight, freeze mechanism protection when he went down and was not fluidly moving at his full capacity. Yeah. I, we, I feel like we, I talk about this even with like that we remove ourselves from nature as a way to avoid the pain of what's going on environmentally. Sure. Right. Like I think it's the same thing that we constantly, we feel, I mean, I, I remember thinking like, in processing emotion, I think for the first time in my life properly, like that, (laughs) um, realizing how much I hadn't done that and also feeling as if the way to, like, I couldn't figure out in the moment if like this crying fit, is this causing me stress? Is this the stress or is processing the emotion actually relieving stress? Like, and there's such, I feel like I'm a smart person, but like that kind of information is so absent from, I think, our greater yep. culture. It's fascinating. I know. And I think that's what got me so interested in this once I, yeah, again, just, just all of it. And it's like, anymore now. So this is what's really funny. It's like, I will get a physiological reaction before I'm consciously aware. Mm-hmm. It's like, my heart will start racing. I will just get like red. My blood is rushing. Where before it used to be more of the cognitive, like, oh, I'm so pissed off. Oh my gosh, that made me so mad, blah, blah, blah. And I would stew on it. But now it's like, the physiological happens. And I think, whoa. And so it's like a cue to me to sit back and process it as opposed to rationalizing and reasoning it away. So you know, I feel like I've gotten myself very fluid and like mm-hmm. instantly if someone makes me upset or an interpersonal relationship I care about, I would be like, that makes me mad because you did this, 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 this. And you know, like this is why I'm reacting because this happened to me in the past and this is why I don't like this. Blah, blah. I mean, it's like this whole story as opposed to just like, you're a jerk. Nah. You know, it's like, there's <laughs> no aspect of that even going there anymore. I'm, going, right. I'm reacting because of this, because of this, because of this, because I'm walking myself back through and processing it. Yeah. Um, instead of deflecting and projecting. Because mm-hmm. that's what we like to do in this world. So thinking right. about it that way, if we fully process what we're feeling, I feel bad right now because of this, this, this. Not like you're such a jerk, you're such a loser, you're this, 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 this. That's projecting. Right. I'm trying to make that person feel as bad as I'm feeling in this moment. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do all day, every day. Yeah. Scary. Do you feel like the, this therapy that you do, like that you are watching people and maybe this factors into like why we're in this place to begin with that, like doing this type of work makes you more free thinking and autonomous and yes. I'm air quotes dangerous. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, like you said a little earlier, the fear thing, it's like, um, you know, we live in a state of fear, right? I mean, isn't that what we're kind of trying to perpetuate around us all the time? Gosh, the news is all like this fear stuff, this, mm-hmm. oh man, if you don't do this, 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 oh, this, 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 this. It's like, oh. Yeah. 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 No more fear. Yeah. We face the fear. And who knows what we could do? Well, see, there's a fear or hope, right? <laughs> yeah. Fear or faith, I guess, is kind yeah. of what they say. You either have fear or have faith. And yeah. so I'm always telling my athletes, like, you're not going to fear out there on the ski course. You're having faith that you will win this, co- this you know, 
podium, whatever you want to say, contest. I love that. Have fear, have faith. That's yeah. good. I think that's a good ending point. I could probably talk to you for a long time. We clearly have a lot of <laughs> <laughs> parallel it's interests, so but I really, really appreciate you taking the time today to talk to me. So, Oh, I'm so grateful. I just want as many people as possible to go out and find themselves a brain spotter, brain spotting <laughs> international and reprocess all your stuff so that you are performing optimally mind and body and soul. You totally convinced me. Um, before I wrap up though, two questions. I mm-hmm. always ask everyone one, one is where can people find you? And the second is, I know this is a really hard question, but if you could recommend one book to all of the listeners to read, what would it be? So robertsneurotraining.com is my website. Cool. And one book. It's a cruel question. I know. Um <laughs> In what context? Though? I mean, either like coming out of this conversation or a book I that know. like totally changed your life in a really profound way, which I'm sure was many of them. But and if you want to mention like two, that's okay. Well, <laughs> the brain's way of healing, Dr. Mm. Norman Deutsch. Okay, because he does both brain spotting and the photobiomodulation light therapy. I do. Cool. And um, let's see here. Probably just brain spotting Dr. David Grand's book. I, again, healthy, happy people creates healthy, happy society. That's all there is to it. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Hey there again. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Today I'm going to play you out with a song, another song uh, by my brother. I think I've played a couple of his songs on the podcast thus far. Um, For those of you that don't know, the music in the intro is actually written by my brother. When I was recording it, I uh, originally was using some like really boring, cheesy stock music. I mean, it wasn't that bad, but it wasn't great. And uh, in another lifetime, which is funny because my brother's only 26, so it's a little bizarre to say in another lifetime, but truly, um, he recorded music and, uh, I asked him if he had anything that he thought would work. And he shared a folder with me of a bunch of unused material. Um, and one of the things that he had in there, was like bits of pieces of songs that he'd never finished. And one of the things was the music I ended up, uh, using in the intro. So super grateful to my brother. Um, I want to play this song because it's, um, one of my favorites, and I think a favorite of a lot of other people as well. It's called Wait. If you want to find him, by the way, his name is Mika Cates, and um, his music name is just his name spelled phonetically. This is not how he actually spells his name, but his name is a little bizarre, as is mine, so we struggle with people pronouncing it correctly. Um, but you can find his music on Spotify and such. It's M-E-E-K-A-K-A-T-E-S. Um, and I wanted to play this song specifically because I had this hilarious moment the other day. We were on a friend's yacht, actually. Um, this was someone, a new friend, someone I hadn't met before. And there was a bunch of us hanging out on one of the decks and we had a fire going and it was like, oh, we need to put music on. Okay. Um, this guy went and got his phone and everyone's like struggling to connect to the Bluetooth and, Anyway, finally a song comes on, and it's this song by my brother. And I, I'm i like, wait a second, this is this is my brother. And everyone's like, what do you mean this is your brother? I was like, this song, it's my brother's song. And, you know, my brother isn't, like, hyper-famous or anything. He recorded music for just a couple of years. Um, 
So it wasn't as if like my brother was like Usher or something. Like it wouldn't be shocking that someone had that song on their phone. But it was fucking strange. So strange that like I guess the guy that was playing the music like wasn't totally paying attention to like how I was so confused about why my brother's song was there. I was like, oh, this must be my phone that like got picked up on the Bluetooth speaker and I ran downstairs to get my phone because I assumed that my phone was playing this song because it seemed so unlikely that the very first song that came on from someone else's phone, who I didn't know, was my brother's song. But no, in fact, that's what it was. And it was quite a moment. It made me happy. And I actually took a little video of like all of us kind of freaking out about it and sent it to him. So (laughs) bizarre. Anyway, that song has been on my mind um, and I wanted to share it with you. I'm super grateful that he let me use his music for the intro. Um, And he's a fucking talented dude. So this is Wait by Mika Cates. Uh, Hope you enjoy it and I will talk to you all next time. I can feel the weight of all I don't know. Stole my heart and escaped. I can't let you go. So don't stare. Almost there. I can feel the way 